popular Christian writer, Philip Yancey, in 1997, wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace? It's a great book. But it's not only a book about grace, it's a book that's being critical of the church. He said, because the modern church is oftentimes known more for what it stands against rather than what it stands for. He wants us to stand for grace and the gospel. And he uh, begins to, to unpack this message as he tells about a true story. A friend of his who's a counselor is counseling a young woman who was strung out on drugs. And to pay for her drug habit, she had fallen into prostitution. And in the midst of this icky, messy life, she had brought a three-year-old child, a daughter, into this situation. Now suddenly, for the first time, she wants to be freed of that. She wants to, to live against that. And so the psychologist, the counselor, says to her, uh, why don't you try the church? The church would be a great place, a community of people to strengthen you and give you courage to live against your, your former life. She looked at him as though he had gone mad. She looked at him and said, why in the world would I go to the church, for goodness sake? They would only make me feel worse about myself than I already do. What's sad is that many churches would make her feel worse about herself than she already did. The sad thing is that oftentimes the church looks at somebody's past and applies the legalism of the gospel and says, you're not worthy to be one of us. And that was Peter's problem. That was why Paul was so livid with Peter last week. That's why Paul was so angry at Peter. Last week we, we found out in our Galatians reading that Peter had stopped having table fellowship with Gentile Christians because they weren't Jewish enough. They weren't circumcised. They weren't kosher. They weren't, weren't holy as he is holy. So he separated himself from these people because they weren't worthy. When the church exchanges the good news of the gospel for the law of moralism, it dies. That's why Paul was livid. Because Peter had missed the essence of what it means to be a Christian. So this morning, I want to look at three things as we continue in that letter to, Gal to the Galatians. One is, what is the essence of Christianity? Second thing, how do true Christians live out the essence and third thing, what difference does it make in my life? And if you'd like to turn to chapter 2 of Galatians, that's where we're going to be this morning. And the first question is the essence of Christianity. This is the third installment to this letter that Paul wrote. We're going to preach on it all the way through the summer. So let's start with verse 15 of chapter 2. It says this, Paul begins, we ourselves. Okay, now that's not the royal we. It's not a generic we, a bunch of people. Remember, this is a continuing conversation that he's having against Peter. So it's you and me, Peter. In other words, we, just you and me. He goes on to say, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, Peter, you and me, have believed in Christ Jesus in order that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Hear that repeated word, justified, justified, justified. If I showed you the next line, line 17 of that second chapter, same thing, justified. Four different times in two different verses, 
Paul says justified. You think maybe it's important? You think maybe it's crucial to the understanding of the gospel? You think maybe that's what the gospel's all about, the very essence of the gospel? I would say yes. It's about justification. And uh, a definition of justification, it's a legal term. Here you go. It is a sufficient or acceptable excuse or explanation in a court of law as to why a defendant committed the offense which he's being accused of that would serve to relieve the defendant of any liability. So it's an excuse. It doesn't change the behavior. It's a new way of looking at the behavior. Okay? So here's an example. Friend of mine, vestryman at St. Paul's in Conway, one day he's a contractor, owns a contracting business, drives up in the parking lot of Conway Elementary School, right up against the playground, gets out a pair of binoculars, begins to study the children coming out for recess. Now he looks like a stalker at this point. So he didn't realize that the bookmobile, just a few parking uh, stalls down, had a woman inside and she sees this guy stalking the children with binoculars. So she calls the principal, the school gets put on lockdown, five minutes later, blue lights flashing, police cars come in, block my friend off, knock on his window and says, sir, what are you doing? You know what he's really asking? Sir, justify yourself. Sir, give me a reason not to lock you up because this looks really bad. The backstory to it is this. He had a son in third grade who was being bullied and beaten on the playground. And we all know that playground justice demands that you don't snitch on anybody, even a bully. And this concerned parent was going to find out who this bully was and turn that kid over. You see, once he explained it to the police, they understood that this is not some criminal, it's a concerned parent. It's not a perceived pervert, it's a protective parent. And so he was justified in his actions, and he was set free from the law. You see, that's justification, my friends. Christianity, at its core, is a justifying religion. It's about a person, Jesus, who justifies us. I know some of you would say, if you're asked, what, what is Christianity? You might say, well, it means turning over a new leaf, making a commitment to God that you might be a better person, that you might love that ornery neighbor even though she isn't very lovable, that you might practice better business habits, that you might come to church a little more often, that you might drop a few more dollars in the collection plate. My friends, all of those are religious. They're about religion and they're important. But Christianity at its essence, at its core, is about a relationship, not a religion. It's a relationship with a Savior who is able to justify us before God. It is a relationship of a Savior who shed his blood and his blood speaks justification between us and the Father. It's a relationship with Christ Jesus who releases us from the liability of our sin, who justifies us before the throne of God. That's the essence of the Christian faith. It means that you, because of Christ, are loved and accepted by God. That his blood covers you. That when he looks down upon your sin, he sees not your sin, but the righteousness of his son. So that's the crux of the matter. Paul explains it in verse 20 today. He says, man, Peter, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives within me. In other words, Christ covers me. When God sees me, he sees Christ. 
And the life I live in the flesh, I now live by faith. Faith has inaugurated this relationship in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, Paul says. Now look at verse 21, and remember he's still uh, contradicting Peter's bad theology. He says, unlike Peter, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose whatsoever. See, our status has not changed. Our faith in that relationship has allowed God's view of our sinfulness to change so that all he sees in us is crucified sin and not living sin. And he he sees the righteousness of his son. So when we become Christians, our record of sin dies with Christ. And into our bank account, not only is that record cleaned out for us, but his righteousness gets imputed into our bank account. Isn't that a great deal? He takes on our sin, we get his righteousness. I don't know a better deal than that. Hundreds of years before Christ even came, God said it had to be that way. In fact, in Isaiah 53, verse 11, hear these words. These are directly from God through the prophet. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Who is satisfied in the midst of anguish? It must be Christ Jesus who died on Calvary. And as he looks from that anguish point of the cross, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. In other words, through those who have the knowledge of my servant, my son in anguish, many will be accounted righteous. Does that mean that you are righteous? No, it's, it's given to your account by grace. So when God sees it, he accounts you as righteous. He bears our iniquities, Isaiah says. We are accounted righteous on his behalf. My friends, if we preach that more strongly, more concisely, more boldly, then that prostitute in the beginning of the story would not have stayed away from the church because she might be judged. She would have run headlong to Jesus because her past of, of, of sin, her past of wrong decisions could be wiped out in an instant. Not only her bank account cleaned out, but Christ's riches and righteousness would be in place of her sinfulness. That's the joy, and that's the gospel. Richard Hooker, the Anglican divine, one of our guys, 16th century, wrote this. Such are we in the sight of God the Father, as is the very Son of God himself. So God sees his Son when he looks on our sin. Man hath sinned, but God hath suffered, he said. God hath made himself the sin of man, and now we men are made the righteousness of God. What a beautiful gift that is. So that's how, who we are. That's the essence of the Christian faith. Now, how do Christians live? Well, look at verse 14 of Galatians. You'll see. Paul criticizes Peter with these words. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Some versions translate that in line with the truth of the gospel. Peter, your conduct is not in line with the gospel of justification. Why? Because Peter is still a sinner, and he's still sinning, and his status has not changed. Only God's view of his status has changed. That's what justification is all about, and it is the root of the Reformation of the 16th century. Martin Luther had a phrase for it in Latin. He called this kind of living out the gospel, simul justus 
et peccator. In other words, simultaneously, Eustace justified, et, I done et my supper. No, I'm not just kidding. <laughs> That's and in Latin. So we're simultaneously justified in Christ and peccator, and sinners. We're justified and sinners. We're justified and loved. We're justified and accepted and as in, even though we're still sinners. And that's the tightrope that all Christians must walk. If you fall off the tightrope to the right, you'll die. Fall off to the tightrope to the left, you'll die. You've got to keep those in tension. We're still sinners, still sinning, yet we're mercifully received into God's love through the righteousness of Christ. Off to the right is moralism and legalism. It's that person who says, you know, I keep the Ten Commandments. I'm a pretty good guy. Uh, you know, I, I live by the golden rule. I'm a pretty good woman. You know, you know, I really try hard to be better than my neighbor. I want to justify myself. I want to say that I'm, a comp I'm accepted by what I accomplish. If you do that, you're a moralist. You're a legalist. You're, you're in fact, uh, what we call a fundamentalist. You're, in fact, what Peter was and then why Paul called him out. But now you can't go to the left either. On the left side is something called libertine living. It's liberalism. It's saying, you know, God made me this way. This is where, the way I'll always be. All i got to do is be faithful to how I'm made. There's no need for change, no need for conversion, no need for a savior. Just be true to myself. That's liberalism. On one hand, you got fundamentalism. The other hand, you got liberalism. But the tightrope in the middle is the gospel. I'm a sinner and still sinning. Yet I'm loved and accepted by God through grace and faith. That's the gospel. Paul says this, verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, which is what liberalism does. Because there's no wrath, no sin, no judgment, no need for grace. Second thing. For if righteousness were through the law, that's what the legalist believes, then Christ died for no, no purpose, for nothing. Both liberalism and fundamentalism take the need for the cross out of the equation. Only the gospel tightrope in the middle both justi justifies us by the mercy of God and says that we're still sinners, but we're loved by God. So what a difference does that make in my life? What is the difference that that makes? If you're justified in walking that tightrope right down the middle of the gospel, here's the deal. It brings joy. It brings profound joy. It fills you with a, a sense of generosity and thanksgiving for who you are. Because you realize you're a sinner saved only by grace. You know, if you call Dave Ramsey up, you know, the Financial Peace University guy on the radio, he'll always say, if you ask him, how you doing, Dave? He'll say, a whole lot better than I deserve. Now, he's not trying to be a Debbie Downer, right? He's actually saying something that's filled with joy and thankfulness. Man, I'm a sinner. I shouldn't have gotten up this morning. Man, I'm a sinner. I shouldn't be on the radio. Man, I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace and loved by God. I'm a whole lot better than I deserve. You see how that works? When you get justification in your heart, you're filled with more joy than anybody else in the world. In our liturgy, Mark chapter 7. Let me just unpack this for you. There's a woman that comes up to Jesus. We call her the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, just know that that's a big word for she's a Gentile sinning dog, okay? She, she comes up to him. And she says, uh, Lord, would you please heal my daughter? And Jesus rebuffs her at first, remember? He says, man, the, the good, good gifts, good bread of the, the master doesn't go to the dogs under the table. 
And you know what she says? I love the boldness here. She comes back at Jesus. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he is so moved with faith, with that, that statement of faith, that he says, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. You see, that's justification. She's still the same sinful, sinful person. She's an unclean Gentile dog. She doesn't keep a kosher kitchen. She doesn't sacrifice in the temple. She's the same person. But because of her faith, she's loved and accepted by Jesus, and he heals her daughter. You know, those are the words that we bring to memory before we take communion every Sunday. We say, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, Lord, but you are the same Lord whose property, whose delight, whose desire is always to show his people mercy. Therefore, gracious Lord, we can come to your table. Simultaneously, sinners and yet justified by Christ. That's the line of the Christian gospel. It not only changes how you perceive yourself before God, it changes how you perceive others. Peter should have gotten that. Rather than distancing himself from Gentile sinners, he should have been more bold in eating with them because they were Christians. They were in no more need of God's grace than he was. They were in no more need of God's justification than he was. You see, justification says we're all in the same boat. I can't say I'm any better off than you are. We're all in need of a Savior. We're all in need of grace. So it changes the way you perceive yourself before God, still a sinner, yet loved and shown mercy by grace through faith. It changes the way you see one another. You're all sinners struggling in need of divine mercy and grace. So this sermon today is called Got Justification? Now that is a play on got milk. I know, it's kind of cute, maybe, kind of silly, maybe. But here's what I mean. It's a double entendre. It's got a double meaning to it. First of all, you got justification. Do you understand it now? Do you understand the essence of the gospel that we're talking about today? Do you have it in your mind? Second thing, you got justification. Do you got it in here? Do you have it in your heart? Have you allowed it to transform your life? Are you walking that gospel tightrope? Have you fallen off into legalism? Have you fallen off into liberalism? Or do you realize that you are at the same time justified by Christ in his love for you and at the same time sinful and a sinner? And that's the gospel. So may the love and mercy of God allow you not only to understand justification, but to receive it in your heart today. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we are simul justus et peccator, that we are simultaneously uh, justified and sinners at the same time, and that you love us and that you have imputed to us into our bank account the righteousness of your Son, and you've removed from us the sinfulness in our flesh. We thank you for that new relationship, that when you see us, you see not our sin, but the righteousness of your Son. Help us to have a new sense of boldness in our hearts to live that joy out in generosity and servant, servitude to one another, that we might love others as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray.